Kids activities, beer garden, food, and more. Logging Days, October 15th in Narrowsburg. More information at welcometonarrowsburg.com. You're listening to Radio Catskill, your NPR station for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Welcome to the local edition news and information to keep you connected in the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dolan, coming up tonight. We'll be checking in with Sullivan County, as we often do on a Monday. Talk about the upcoming foster parent certification classes with Alyssa Wauk, Sullivan County Home Finder. Finding home for children in need. We'll also get the latest news with our weekly news roundup from the Sullivan County Democrat with editor Joe Abraham. Patricio Rabio spoke to him earlier today. But first, we uh, have some news at the state level. Of course, this is election season. We're working on coverage of the candidates. And at the state level in New York is the race for governor. Well, uh, now... Uh, you may have heard Republican candidate for governor Lee Zeldin has been making the rising crime rate an issue in his campaign. Saw gun violence literally hit close to home yesterday when a drive-by shooting left two people injured in his front yard. No one in the Zeldin family was hurt. Karen DeWitt has more. Zeldin was campaigning at a Columbus Day parade in the Bronx Sunday afternoon with his wife when a call came from one of their twin 16-year-old daughters. They were alone at the family's suburban Long Island house, and they'd been doing their homework at the kitchen table. The girls had heard gunshots outside in their front yard and then people screaming. Both daughters locked themselves into an upstairs bathroom, and while one called her parents, the other had already called 911. The Zeldin sped home trying not to panic. The congressman contacted law enforcement sources. His wife stayed on the line with his daughters. She stayed on the phone with the girls during the drive. And while her heart was clearly racing, she was just talking to them to try to keep them calm, as opposed to her freaking out, too. One of the shooting victims was found underneath the Zeldin's front porch, another in the bushes in the yard. Both 17-year-old males were taken to the hospital, where they are being treated for their injuries and are expected to survive. One of the bullets lodged just 30 feet from where the daughters had been sitting. Suffolk County police say they believe the shooting is unrelated to Zeldin's role as a candidate for governor or as a U.S. congressman. The police say three teens were walking along the street when a dark-colored vehicle went by and an occupant fired multiple gunshots through the vehicle's window. They say the third teen fled on foot. Zeldin has made the rising crime rate in the state's controversial bail reform laws that ended many forms of cash bail a focus of his campaign, and he's appeared at many crime scenes around the state to talk about the issue, but he says he never expected it to happen at his own house. I'm standing in front of crime scene tape in front of my own house. You can't get me more outraged than right now. I mean, it's one thing to spend multiple times over the course of a week where other people are being targeted, but for us... 
No, we're more pissed off today than we were when we woke up this morning. Governor Kathy Hochul, a Democrat who is Zeldin's opponent in the race, said in a statement that she had been briefed on the shooting. She says she's relieved to hear the Zeldin family is safe and that she's grateful for law enforcement's quick response. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. And thank you to Karen DeWitt and the New York State Public Radio Exchange for that report. This is the local edition. Moving on to local news now. Every Monday we check in with Sullivan County Democrat, see what's making news, what's going on, what's happening. Radio Catskills' Patricio Ramayo spoke to Joseph Abraham earlier today. Joseph Abraham, managing editor for the Sullivan County Democrat, talked about the Sullivan County Drug Task Force, also known as the Substance Use Task Force, which has been created to improve the lives of those impacted by substance use. Uh, yeah, so the Sullivan County Drug Task Force, they have two meetings a year open to the public. Uh, the next one is going to be this Friday at, in the legislative hearing room in the government center at 1 p.m. Um, in Monticello. And usually at the meeting, they'll have um, reports, uh, have a presentation sort of on uh, what their accomplishments have been overall since they started. Usually there's different pillars of the, of the task force. So they'll give updates and then they can ask each other questions. The public who is present can ask each other questions or ask questions of them to see what uh, has been going on. But uh, at the meeting, they mentioned uh, sort of an, uh, well, at the legislative meeting last week, Wendy Brown, who co-chairs the task force uh, with uh, District Attorney Megan Galligan, referenced a big arrest in New York City last week where approximately 15,000 fentanyl pills were seized Um uh, in New York City, and uh, they were in various colors. So it's rainbow fentanyl, which uh, we've talked about in the paper a little bit in the past, which is sort of this uh, new method being used to sell addictive and potentially deadly fentanyl. Uh, and it's made to look like candy so that it can be marketed to like children and young people. And so, you know, if you look at these, all you have to do is for a listener, just Google what it looks like. And really, it does look like little candy circles and stuff, which makes it so much more dangerous. Um, this one that was seized, according to the Drug Enforcement Administration, or DEA, uh, was concealed in a Lego box uh, to determine uh, to deter law enforcement attention. And uh, the fentanyl pills were imprinted with an M30 to resemble 30M or oxycodone hydrochloride 30 milligram pills. So clearly it's looking like something else, even though it's really fentanyl, which is uh, very dangerous. And um, so Wendy Brown had brought up that arrest because she noted that the task force was going to be alerting schools. They're going to be creating some public service announcements uh, to make sure people are aware of uh, rainbow fentanyl and the dangers associated with it. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot more updates on all of that that comes from um, the meeting that's going to take place this Friday in the government center. It's good that there is an open dialogue about what's happening with the opioid crisis and they are aware of our, are these, these tragic thing. I was, I call them tragic that, you know, now this fentanyl is being sort of geared towards children with the colorful colors and the chalk like appearance. So it's good that the task force seems to be sort of on top of it and, you know, being proactive about the situation. Yep. Yeah. They're, they're definitely trying to do what they can, but it's uh, an issue that's really taking place everywhere. And it's scary that this is the first, major rainbow fentanyl seizure uh, that's in our region. So, And on to some lighter news. One of Sullivan County's main economic engines is tourism. Uh, Joe, do you have any update on tourism in Sullivan County for this past summer and for the fall and winter? 
Sure. So uh, I think everyone expected it to be a pretty busy tourism summer uh, with the economic crisis going on sort of in, I don't know if crisis is the right word, but inflation and other things. Uh, it was expected that a lot of people weren't going to travel as far away from home uh, for vacations this summer. So uh, we the thing is with tourism statistics is it's sort of a year behind. So we won't really know until next year this time what this summer was. But at legislature last week, uh, Herb Clark, who's the VP of marketing for the Sullivan Catskills Visitors Association, uh, shared some pretty interesting news with legislators Uh the tourism economics uh, and Oxford studies recently released 2021 data, uh, which said that visitor spending Sullivan Catskills for 2021 was $709 million, uh, which was a, obviously is a very large amount. Uh, furthermore, uh, president and CEO of the SCVA, Roberta Byron Lockwood, uh, told me that Sullivan County, we're in this 10 county region called the Mid Hudson Catskills region. And uh, we're third in lodging, uh, fourth in overall travel expenditures, and first in second homes as far as the different categories. Uh, and then just to put some things into perspective, because 709 million is a big number, what it means to everyday people like you, me, and other people uh, who may own property uh, is in Sullivan County, uh, the impact per household in taxpayer savings is $2,973, meaning that property owners would pay uh, that much more for the same services uh, if it wasn't for the tourism industry locally. So uh, some very good news there. And then just to shift into another topic uh, that relates to legislature, which is staying kind of on the positive news front um, after, of course, started to talk about something as dangerous as rainbow fentanyl and concerns with that is at SUNY Sullivan, um, it was in April, the legislators voted to give the college $300,000 annually uh, by establishing the Sullivan Promise Scholarship Program, which covers the full tuition and fees of every eligible county resident who graduated high school in 2022 and were admitted this fall to SUNY Sullivan. And that includes GED students and homeschoolers uh, for one year full-time study in a degree program. And um, in an update to legislators, SUNY Sullivan President Jay Quayton said a total of 145 uh, students have uh, are recipients of that scholarship as of October 1st, which he said was a pretty strong indicator that, you know, people are taking advantage of that opportunity. And um, so we thank the legislature for that. But that's so it's pretty interesting that you have a um, hundred, like I said, 145 people now that are staying local um, that might not otherwise have. I mean, they could have possibly attended SUNY Sullivan, but the whole thought process of, of creating that program is that usually if, if, uh, you know, kids in the county will go to other schools. Sometimes the county has to pay out money for that. But now when they stay local, at least for a community college, which we have uh, a community college here in Sullivan County, that sort of keeps the money, uh, you know, locally, which is which is always a positive. So, yeah, more people are coming into college and, you know, use and taking advantage of this this offer of, you know, free tuition for for residents in Sullivan County, maybe. You know, I'm just thinking maybe some of the students were on the fence of uh, whether to go to college or not. Um, and maybe the reason they were on the fence is because of financial reasons. So, um, this is, this could have been sort of, sort of motivator and saying, Hey, now I can't attend college because of this, this grant. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, you know, and, and who knows? You know, I think a lot of us wish in our respective college journeys, wherever we were, you know, grew up that, that 
program was similar for us because I didn't have it in North Carolina, but it would have been nice, you know, and it might have changed my thought process um, in that, you know, if I was able to get free tuition to go to start my degree locally. So, yep, is creating opportunities for young folks, students who want to go to college. Now they have sort of a path now uh, in Sullivan County. They can say the money stays in Sullivan County and the student also stays in Sullivan County. Uh, Joe, what else is going on in the pages of the Sullivan County Democrat? You know, it's budget season. So a lot of the different towns that we cover are going to be doing budgets and all different kinds of things. And one thing that's always interesting is there's the 2% tax cap that people usually try to stay under, uh, which is you know state mandated. Uh, but uh, in Forestburg, uh, town supervisor Dan Hogue had stated at the recent meeting that although he's not expecting the town to exceed the 2% increase put in place, the board is seeking to override it as a safety net. And uh, there'll be a public hearing on that proposal on October 24th at 6 p.m. So Derek has some Forestburg coverage. We have, um, as I you know stated previously, restaurant week. We have some police notes uh, of different arrests that occurred in the county. We also have um, in our life section a really cool, heartwarming story. Uh, the literacy volunteers in, in Monticello uh, worked to put on a GED graduation uh, at the Hurleyville Performing Arts Center recently, which was a really cool thing because a lot of times for these, you know, people who do earn their GED, they don't they miss out on sort of the recognition that people have in high school graduations and stuff. So it's really nice that they put that event on for the community. So we have an article about that, who graduated, some pictures. We also have a story. There was a beloved teacher uh, out in the uh, Livingston Manor area who has ties, of course, to the western end of the county who had uh, passed away in the last year. And they had a fundraising event uh, or will be having a fundraising event, I should say, uh, to benefit a scholarship in her name. So we have an article that details that. And then, of course, we have a bunch of high school sports going on right now, soccer, football. I believe uh, some good good recaps that we have from Anthony and Richard in our sports department. I know uh, Tri-Valley picked up a big win over Fallsburg this weekend, and Eldred uh, defeated Roscoe Livingston Manor. So a lot of good sports coverage, and that pretty much sums up uh, what we've got in the pages. There's always the packed paper. One thing I did notice was a lot of towns have been using the tax override or seems to be gearing up to use it this year. And I'm wondering if it has to do with inflation, that they're sort of preparing to for things to go up and putting more money into the budget and using the tax override, thinking they might have to go over the budget, the tax cap this year. Have you noticed that? So big thing every year that causes people to think about that 2% is like health insurance increases. That's usually a big cost that most towns have to deal with. But to your point, I do think that inflation is the cause of, of a lot. You'll probably see a lot more towns having to do that because, I mean, everything's being affected. You know, we sit through these meetings and I say we because for those that don't know listening, Patricio actually covers Thompson and Fallsburg for us. It does a wonderful job with that. Uh, and, uh, you know, these towns, you're, when you sit there, like they ordered a truck, for example, like when you order a truck, because you have to go through a whole bidding process and that type of thing for like your highway department. I've been to like town of Calicoon meetings, for example, and I have one tonight where like they had agreed or was a price that was set. But then because of all this inflation, they just had this company had to go up on them like a pretty significant chunk of money. So you have all of these different things that are adding up. And I think that's why uh, the uh, as you're saying that, that these you're probably going to see more towns overriding it. Whereas in the past, while 
it might have always been a concern of whether or not you'll make it. And it's always been close because a lot of towns will usually you'll see like, you know, especially in the bigger towns with big expenditures, you know, like there'll be like a one point something increase, you know, because there are health insurance increases that have been steadily rising and that type of thing. But this year, because of everything being just so astronomically more expensive, uh, I think that, yeah, I think it's going to be more of a trend than people want to in the past. And there's a whole process that people have to undergo as far as the, uh, you know, process. I mean, you have to hold a public hearing and that type of thing. So uh, I think it'll be more common this year for sure. Uh, Joe, is there anything else I have not touched on that you want our listeners to know about? Yeah, I will just plug that um, we're actually participating uh, with Bogold Media uh, tomorrow with uh, hosting a debate at the Cartwright, 6 to 9 p.m. 6 o'clock will be a meet-and-greet mixer. It'll be the two candidates running for state Senate, uh, Peter Oberacher and Eric Ball in the 51st District, and then the two 100th District State Assembly candidates, Aileen Gunther and Lisa LeBou. So we'll have the state Senate debate from 7 to 7.45, the uh, state Assembly debate from 8 to 8.45, and, um, yeah, that's all at the Cartwright. It'll be uh, broadcasted on Thunder 102 and uh, 104.5. It'll also be live streamed on Radio Bowl News' Facebook. And uh, I don't know uh, if it can be stated, but it is also possibly going to be on WJFF at some point in the future. So Yes, at some point in the future, we will rebroadcast that event. Uh, thank you so much, Bold Gold, for letting us do that. But if you want to catch it live, see Joe and Mike Sikel, uh live from the Cartwright this Tuesday. So glad you guys are doing that and keeping your listeners informed. Joe, thank you so much for joining us on the local edition. We were talking to Joseph Abraham, managing editor for the Sullivan County Democrat, letting us know what's happening on the pages of the Sullivan County Democrat on newsstands tomorrow or catch it online at scdemocratonline.com. Joe, till next week, talk to you soon. All right, sounds good. See you then. For Radio Catskill, I'm Patricio Rubio. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Here on The Local Edition for the second half of our program, it's time for our Sullivan County check-in. going to take a look at foster care in Sullivan County. And according to iFoster, a national nonprofit aimed at raising awareness, more than 15,000 kids are currently in foster care with around 11,000 licensed foster homes in New York State. Here in Sullivan County, the need is great for foster homes. And on the phone with us now to tell us more about foster care is a home finder for Sullivan County with Children's Home of Wyoming Conference, Alyssa Woke. Alyssa, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, hold on one moment. Alyssa, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So you're holding a foster parent certification class uh, that's coming up on the 18th. Um, I guess let's let, let, we'll talk about that coming up. Let's start talking about the need for foster care. According to the national statistics, there are more children and teens in need of a home than there are homes for them. There are. Unfortunately, here in Sullivan County, we're seeing our numbers of kids rising. 
Um, currently, right now, we have 110 kids in foster care. Um, now that kids are back to school, uh, teachers are reporting, you know, things that they're seeing. Counselors are meeting with kids, so they're seeing things, they're reporting things. And due to, you know, the amount of substance abuse that we have going on here in the county, um, we are seeing our numbers of children coming into care rising pretty drastically, pretty quickly. Well, you know, and, and uh, so these classes that you have coming up, these are foster parent certification classes. Um, what can folks expect and will it help with that need that you're talking about? So certification classes are nine weeks. They are in person. We meet once a week for nine weeks. Um, classes, as you mentioned, are starting October 18th, which is a Tuesday. So classes will follow for nine weeks on Tuesday. Um, and really what that is, is it prepares you for things that you may expect. It gives you um, definitions, things that you, you know, will need to know. We teach you about behaviors that you may see. We teach you how to cope with those behaviors, um, anything that really pertains to foster care, adoption, um, that will help you be a successful foster parent, we teach it. Great. So now uh, this is starting next Tuesday, say it's a nine-week course. So if somebody, if somebody wants to do this class, they, they should attend for all nine, right? Yes. So we do allow you, I mean, we're very flexible. We understand that life happens. Um, so we do allow you to miss one class. However, you will have to make it up. Um, we only get nine weeks to get to know you. So it is pretty crucial that you attend all classes for the full time. They're three hours from 6 to 9 p.m. Um, think about it. If you have a child, um, your child, and you are no longer able to care for a child, how long is it really going to take for um, you to get to know us and think about you know, their safety. Are, am I able to provide the proper care that your child will need? You're going to want to know everything about me from my whole life story. You know, do I work? Am I employed? Am I financially stable? Um, am I able to care for a child? Am I physically okay to care for a child? So there's a lot that comes into play when getting certified. Um, you know, we do do background checks. We understand people are young and dumb sometimes, and, you know, you might get into some trouble, but as long as they're not, you know, endangering the welfare of a child or major, you know, crimes, that doesn't disqualify you from becoming a foster parent. But these are things that we do require because, like I said, if your child is being placed into care, you know, you'd want to know those things too. Right, well, and that's, that's kind of speaking to the next question I want to ask you, which is, like, what what types of people are you looking for um, uh, when it comes to being foster parents? So the age range that children are in care range from 0 to 21. So we have babies fresh out of the hospital, and then we have teens where you're like, 21, you're an adult. You know, you turn 18, you're that adult. But we have, you know, children who think they're grown but need that assistance and guidance of a parent. And um, so really homes that we're looking for is homes that can take on a baby or, you know, a teen. Um, there are different types of foster care. I just want to throw that out there. A lot of people say the number one thing that um, we hear oh so often doing recruitment is I won't be able to let them go. Um, and I always say, if you have that thought, we want you. Because 
the ultimate goal of foster care is reunification, right? So we want those children to be able to be reunited with their family, but we need to be able to provide them a safe environment until able to do so. Um, so there are different options of homes. If you're a busy, busy person and you're like, I have no time to take on a child full time, um, we do have other options. There's respite care. That's more temporary. Um, it could be just a overnight stay it could be a weekend stay um and you know then there's other options there's fostering where you can have a child for a long-term placement um we have foster to adopt so some of our children um don't get the reunification final stage um where they're not able to go back home to their family so we do have the foster to adopt if you have a child in your home for a year you get first you know, say of if you'd like to adopt that child once they're freed. Um, and then there's also therapeutic homes. And those therapeutic homes are homes that are willing to take higher needs children. So they may be, um, you know, a child that has severe behaviors. They've gone through a little more traumatic experiences. Um, they could be severely medical. They need, they have a lot of doctor's appointments. So those are particularly for stay-at-home parents. Um, but there are many options to suit any family um, that is willing and able to be a foster parent. You know, as I'm listening to you, it occurs to me that that just as much as you're looking, you, you're you're looking for a wide range of people as long as they meet some basic requirements. You're also looking to fill um, a variety of needs as well. So that works out well on both ends. But it's interesting you say like you you all there, there's things that you often hear from people. I'm wondering what other uh, common misconceptions or what common corrections you need to give folks when they come to you that you, that you wish they understood coming into it. I would say the number one thing that I hear oh so often would be the, um, you know, how do you expect me to love a child, um, support a child, and then have to give them back? Um, that would be the number one thing that I hear oh so often. And what I often tell my families that I hear this from when I'm out in the community doing events is, do you have the space, not only in your home, but in your heart? And they always kind of stop and look at me, and they're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, put yourself in the shoes of a child who is being removed from their family and being placed into your home. Are you able to love them, support them, help them, guide them, and just simply give them a hug when they're feeling down? And they're like, well, yeah, I could. And, I, and then, you know, that starts opening their eyes up to things. Um, I'm not going to lie, fostering can be very challenging, but it's also very rewarding. Um, it, it's just knowing that you're able to have an impact on these children, whether it be a day stay or a year stay, three years stay, um, you're impacting that child. And, that, and, then, and once I say that, then people really start to be open-minded to, okay, maybe I can do this. Um, that's what I would say would be the most that I hear oh so often. I don't really hear anything negative. Um, it's just more so a lot of questions of, you know, yeah. I don't think I can do this type deal. Well, in the the final minute before we go, uh, and if people want to find out more, you are having this certification class. goes for nine weeks starting next Tuesday. If uh, somebody is listening and they're interested, uh, where can they go to learn more or sign up for the class? So we are, I am posting always all over um, groups. Um, 
you can always reach out to me. My uh, email is awowk at chowc.net. Or you could always reach out to me via phone, 845-645-6544. We do have a Facebook page. It's called Children's Home in Sullivan County. Um, you can always re- send us a message on there, and we are always willing and able. And also, we'll just reach out to the Department of Social Services, and they'll always be able to direct you to me. If you could, just give that a phone number one more time in case somebody was trying to catch it. Yep, the phone number is 845 845- Six four five six five four four, and I just want to say there are signs and flyers everywhere. If you are not able and you're like Alyssa, fostering is not for me, but I still would love to help. Spread the word. Um, there's flyers posted everywhere on social media. There's flyers in local businesses. Um, you know, road signs. Just share our flyer on your social media page and even word of mouth with your friends and family. Um, it, it really goes a long way. Okay, well, Alyssa, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us tonight about this important work that you're doing in the community, and best of luck to you. Thank you so much for having me. And again, uh, you can find out more information in a number of ways, as Alyssa just said, but also Children's Home in Sullivan County on Facebook. If you're online on Facebook, Children's Home in Sullivan County. Once again, we were speaking with Alyssa Woke, Home Finder for Sullivan County with Children's Home of Wyoming Conference. That's going to do it for tonight's local edition. We will be back tomorrow night. We'll do it all over again. We'll be speaking to both candidates from the major parties who are running uh, for Congress in New York's 19th District. Uh, Riley and Molinaro will hear our full interviews with both of them this time tomorrow night right here on the local edition. This is WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Support for Radio Catskill comes from Canoza Hall, featuring 22 guest rooms, a fine dining restaurant with full bar by Foster Supply Hospitality's award-winning culinary team, outdoor lakeview seating, and a full-service spa. CanozaHall.com. From the River Reporter newspaper in Narrowsburg, New York. RiverReporter.com. And from listener donations at WJFFRadio.org.